I invite you to remain standing for our scripture reading. This morning we'll be reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 15. Let's read God's good word together. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. My name is Pastor Brandon. We're in the midst of a sermon series called Resilient, Finding Strength in the Chaos. And we've been looking for inspiration to the civil rights movement because of the challenges that the people who made that possible were able to overcome and asking what can we learn from them about being resilient as we're asking the same question of the scriptures. And as we think about the civil rights movement, one of the things that's most amazing to me is seeing the kind of challenges that people face and and seeing the threats that they faced of violence, dogs, fire hoses, guns, and that whenever those, those things faced them, that they stood their ground and they didn't retaliate, that they did that. And so you can, you can see the kind of things that, that they persevered through, through dogs trying to bite them and attack them, of fire hoses being turned on them, and they continued to show up. They chose to respond nonviolently. And, and it makes me ask, how did they do that? And there are a lot of reasons, but one of the primary reasons is that they trained for it. They trained for it. You couldn't just show up and decide, I'm going to march this morning and then go. They prepared and trained for it. Dr. King um, talks about the, the way that they did this. He says, we made it clear that we would not send anyone out to demonstrate who had not convinced himself and us that he could accept and endure violence without retaliating. And so they would go through, they would go through these, kind, these basically practice runs of what that would be like when they were practicing um, a sit-in at a restaurant, at a lunch counter. They would have people practice doing things like the kind of things that they would face, having your, your water knock, or your drink knocked out and spilled on you. Or people blowing smoke in your face. This, the culture's changed a lot around smoking in the last few years. It's kind of strange to see, but people would do that. They would find ways to degrade people, and you had to, had to sit there, maintain your composure, and not retaliate. Dr. King describes the trainings. He says, the harsh language and physical abuse of the police and the self-appointed guardians of the law were frankly presented along with the nonviolent creed in action. To resist without bitterness, to be cursed and not reply, to be beaten and not hit back. And the way they were able to do that is because they prepared, they trained, they practiced. Because those, to, to be beaten and not hit back, that's not a human thing to do, right? We want to retaliate. We want revenge. And yet because they practice enduring things like having someone flick ashes from their cigarette on you, doing things like having smoke blown in your face, you, you see the gentleman on the right, his tie is not hanging down, it's been thrown on his head experiencing the ways that you would be degraded so that in the moment of truth, you could respond. They practiced those things. They had 10 commandments that they followed of nonviolence. One of those is to meditate daily on the teachings and life of Jesus so that they would be prepared. They would would have those things in their hearts and then to refrain from the violence of fist or tongue or heart. All of these things were possible because they trained and they practiced. And if we want to be able to show up If we want to be able to persevere in those most trying moments, we have to do the same. We have to train. 
And so that's what we're talking about today is how can we practice resilience training? As we've been going through this series, we've been looking to the civil rights movement as well as the teachings of Jesus and how they help us to know how to keep going in those hardest moments. And so where we started in week one, Pastor Mark taught us that being loved by Jesus is a gift. There's nothing we have to do to earn that. It's something that's given to all of us. But following Jesus is a decision. That's a decision we have to make and something that we have to decide we're going to do with our lives. And so as we make that decision, we're going to face resistance. That's something that all of us face, right? You didn't decide to follow Jesus, and then everything was smoothed out, and uh, everything was easy. Uh, If that was your experience, I'd love to hear about how that's possible, but that's not the norm. And so the goal for us is to be ready, to become ready for God to use us to transform resistance and despair into hope. And so one of the, one of the scriptures, or one of the, the quotes that has guided us in this series is from Dr. King from the I Have a Dream speech. He said, with this faith, we'll be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. That's what we're trying to do with resistance that we face, is to bring out of that hope. And, God ha- and that's how God shapes us to do that. And in week two, we learn that it takes a clear identity to ground us and a strong, ident- a strong resistance to grow us. We have to know who we are if we're going to face resistance and keep going. We have to know that we are children of God. That's fundamentally who we are. And, and our identity is not based on our achievements. And once we know that, when we encounter resistance, when we encounter failure, we can keep going because we know it doesn't define who we are in our hearts. And then we can persevere through the challenges that we face. And the good news of Jesus is that we are loved before we've accomplished anything. Before we had a single line on our resumes, he loves us no matter what. Then in week three, what we learned was that we want God to make us flexible and strong. Becoming resilient isn't about becoming hard. It's not about just becoming as hard as possible. This is how Dr. Todd Bolsinger um, puts it. He said, resilience is not about becoming smarter or tougher. It's about becoming stronger and more flexible. It's about becoming tempered like a tempered piece of glass. And so uh, we, we talked about the Acts 2 beatitude, blessed are the flexible for they shall not be bent out of shape. That's one of the things that, that uh, particularly in the early days, Pastor Mark and Chantel and those who were with them had to learn because you didn't know if the custodian was going to show up whenever we were meeting in a school to unlock the doors and let everyone in. And, and if that didn't happen, you had to find, figure out what plan B was and, and then shift. And that's what all of us need to do. Whenever we face resistance, we've got to be flexible if we're going to persevere. And one of the things that makes us flexible, that enables us to do that, is the practice of self-reflection. Because self-reflection that leads to self-awareness makes us stronger and able to persevere. Because we know what are the things that are motivating us, we're able to learn whenever we make mistakes, and we're able to respond better the next time. Then last week, Pastor Mark taught us that hardship plus relationship equals resilience. This isn't something that we do alone. If we think we're going to become resilient, isolated individuals, then we're going to be in trouble because that's how whenever we get isolated, that's when it gets really hard for us to persevere. And sometimes we think, you know, the further we go, the, the higher up we climb, the, the less and less help we need. But the opposite is true. Uh, as Pastor Mark told us, the more responsibility we have, the more accountability and life-giving relationships we need. We don't need less help. We need more. 
And, and so he talked about the different kinds of people that we have in our lives, front stage and backstage and, and offstage. The front stage are the people who are doing the work with us. The backstage people are the people who are helping us to do that work better, who are helping us to learn and to grow. And the offstage people are the people who, don't, who love us regardless of the work, who, who are our friends, our family members, our spiritual directors and therapists, the people who are helping us, uh, who just walk alongside us. And, and they care about the work because we do but that's not why we're in relationship. And whenever we have all three of those, whenever we have front stage, backstage, and offstage supporters, it forms a web of resilience. And if you think about it, if you've ever walked into a spider web, it wouldn't be so bad if it were just like one thread and then you just had to pull that off. But, but it's all of these different threads that, that seem to like just coat your, if you've walked into it in your face, like that's not comfortable, right? I mean, some of you are like trying to shake that off, that image. But it's because there are so many strands, and if one of them is cut, then you still have an entire web. And that's how it is with us. Whenever we have a web of relationships, not just isolated individuals, and we, and we lose something, if something goes wrong, then we have all these other sources of support in our lives as well. And so we have to have relationships. So that's where we've been this week. What we're going to talk about is if we want to be resilient in moments of stress, we have to train ahead of time. Has anybody woke up in the morning and decided you're going to run a marathon that day? That would go really badly. I, I don't recommend it unless you're in some kind of ungodly shape where you can do stuff like that. Most of us cannot. We have to prepare ahead of time because if we're not prepared, then whenever we face the moment of truth, it's not going to go well. And, and maybe you've done this. I've done this. Um, maybe you've thought about how you'd respond in a crisis situation. You know, you've thought about if things really go bad, what would I do? This is one, this is a little bit embarrassing. I've thought about if, if I'm in like an auditorium that has a balcony and, and I'm like under it, like what if somebody fell? Would I try to catch them? And I thought, yeah, I'd try to do that. And then I learned a little bit about physics and, and I figured out that that wouldn't end well for either of us. But, but you know, you, you put yourself in these situations, you think, what would I do? And uh, this is how, what Eric Greitens says. He's a, a former Navy SEAL and, and uh, a great leader. But he says, people like to imagine that they will rise to the occasion. What happens, in fact, is that when things get really hard and people are really afraid, they sink to the level of their training. They sink to the level of their training. And that's what happens. We, we don't rise above our level of training and preparation. You know, we think of whenever we face really hard stuff, like, you know, I'll just, because of my strength of character, because I, I'm, I'm a good person, like, I'll be able to stand up and do that. And it's actually, we have to be prepared ahead of time, just like those civil rights workers. The reason they were able to stand face-to-face with a police dog was because they had prepared. They had trained. And the way that we prepare ourselves is through our habits. Our habits can either strengthen or they can undermine our resilience. And maybe you just think about the kind of things that, that you do whenever you're feeling particularly stressed or whenever you're feeling anxious. You know, what are the things that you do? One of the things that I do is sometimes whenever I'm just feeling overwhelmed is I'll just, you know, basically grab my phone and zone out and just kind of start doom scrolling. Do you know how much better I feel after that? Yeah, so much better. Like, oh, it's not just me. The whole world is, uh, is falling apart. That, this is great. No, I, that's not how I feel. I, that, that actually, that makes me feel worse. That habit makes me less resilient. And so there are things that we do that, that actually make it harder for us to respond well whenever the stress comes. And if we respond to stress by doom scrolling or by drinking, you know, if after a hard day we have to have a drink or two or three to, to be able to get through it, if, if we withdraw from our relationships, our habits are weakening us. They're making us less able to respond well the next time. 
And so what we need is to figure out how to train. We need to create a training plan. And there's, some actually, there's a really interesting uh, um, and helpful resource that our tradition gives us that comes out of the Christian tradition for, for centuries. God's people have used a rule of life to keep their life and habits aligned with God's will. And uh, that concept of a rule of life, uh, Pastor Ken Shigematsu describes it this way. He says, a rule of life is simply a rhythm of practices that empower us to live well and grow more like Jesus by helping us experience God in everything. And so it's basically a set of practices, you know, the things that this, this is at this time, I do this. And one of the first examples that we see of this is from Daniel, um, who has, he's got a book of the Bible uh, named after him. And he was part of the people who were taken into exile in Babylon whenever the people of Judea and Jerusalem were conquered by the Babylonian Empire. And in order to stay faithful in that culture that did not support his faith, he created a rhythm of prayer that kept him grounded. And so he was in a culture where, um, if you remember the story, the king had passed a law that basically the only person that you could pray to was the king. And there were people who, who saw Daniel. He was successful. He was, he was a part of the, of, the, uh, of the king's administration. And there were people who didn't like that. This foreigner was somehow, you know, doing better than the rest of us. And so they were looking for opportunities to bring him down. And so they, they knew that he prayed to the God of Israel. And they said, okay, if we can get the king to pass this law, then we'll be able to get him. He, he won't stop praying to his God and, uh, and we'll be able to, to get him out of the way. And, and so uh, the, the, he, the king signed the law, this document, and this is what the book of Daniel tells us. It says, although Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he continued to go to his house, which had windows in its upper room open toward Jerusalem, and to get down on his knees three times a day, pray to his God and praise him just as he had done previously. And so this this. Daniel had this practice every day. He would go back to his house. He would get down on his knees and pray, you know, actually to remind him of the temple, the place where God's spirit dwelled. He would actually face toward Jerusalem and pray three times a day. This was what grounded him. And even whenever there was a law passed against it, this was something that he continued to do. This was a practice that was absolutely fundamental to his life. And this is speculative on my part, but I'll give you the disclaimer. But I think part of the reason he was able to keep doing that whenever he knew he could get arrested for it is because he had been doing it. Or the, the practice of praying three times a day trained him and enabled him to be able to keep going whenever he faced resistance. And so we see this early on. This was this set of habits. At this time, this time, and this time, I go to my house, I kneel, and I pray. That was Daniel's rule of life. Really simple, but it was something that guided him and grounded him. We see this later, a few hundred years after the time of Jesus, uh, St. Benedict created a rule to guide the monks in his monastery. If you've ever heard of Benedictine monks, um, the, the monastery that St. Benedict founded still exists. It's been rebuilt a few times. It was bombed in World War II, and so that's the most recent iteration. But it's in Monte Cassino in Italy, um, south of Rome. And, and since the, the, the 6th century, the 500s, people have been part of, of the Benedictine movement. They've been part of these monasteries. And, and St. Benedict wrote this rule that people continue to live by today that continues to inspire people. I know you can't read that, but that's what one of the earliest uh, copies of it looks like. And, and this is what Benedict said that he set out to do. He said, therefore, we intend to establish a school for the Lord's service. In drawing up its regulations, we hope to set down nothing harsh, nothing burdensome. But what he was doing is setting up a school for the Lord's service. In, in, in other words, he was helping train the monks 
to be able to live faithfully, to serve God with their entire lives. And so if you look at the rule of St. Benedict, it talks about things like at this time we pray, and at this time we go out into the fields and we work. And whenever you have a conflict with another brother in the monastery, this is how you handle it. And it basically set out their way of life together. And so this, this concept has, has continued to stick with us. People have adapted it in various ways. More recently, people have asked the question, you know, how could a rule of life guide us in this situation where technology is just overwhelming everything that we're doing and just constantly making its way into our lives? And, and so Justin Whitmill Early is, uh, is an author, and he basically created a rule of life for helping us live in an age of distraction. And so this is an example of what that looks like. He, he sets out this set of daily habits and a set of weekly habits. So daily kneeling prayer three times a day. Does that sound familiar? Hopefully, if it didn't, you fell asleep. Welcome, you're, you're awake again. One meal with others, one hour with your phone off, and then scripture before phone. We've talked about Bible before phone here a lot. He gave us that idea. Then weekly habits, one hour of conversation with a friend, curating media to four hours, basically limiting it to four hours a week, fasting from something for 24 hours, and then keeping the Sabbath. And so these are the ways that, that he's put forth for people to try to live faithfully. This is his rule of life for living in a technological society where technology is invading just really every aspect of our lives. And here's the thing, this, this concept may or may not be something that you've heard of before, something that you're interested in, but we're all living by a rule of life, whether we realize it or not. And, and I think about, you know, if I, uh, if, if I went down and kind of wrote down my habits as a rule of life, um, you know, when, whenever I'm stressed, I turn to my phone and doom scroll for 30 minutes until I feel worse. That, you know, I mean, essentially, I'm, that's, that's the rule that I'm living. Or whenever I'm tired and my children are pestering me, I yell at them to set them straight. Like, that's not, that's not a good habit, but it's, it's one that I fall into if I'm not careful and I'm not rested. We have all of these habits. We have this basically rule of life. And really the work is through, as we talked about a few weeks ago, the practice of self-reflection helps us to be aware of what those are. And one of the things that I think is helpful whenever we talk about rules, we, we think of actually, you know, like rule one, rule two. What, the word in this usage actually comes from the word for trellis. You know what a trellis is? It's something that helps a vining plant to grow. It, it provides structure for it. And so if you've ever seen a vineyard, that's, that's what that looks like. The, it has a, a trellis that enables the vines to grow. And whenever they do that, they're able to produce fruit in a way that, that's better than if they were just a pile on the ground growing wherever. And, and what's fascinating about this is, is actually Jesus describes himself as the true vine. As we read off the top of the sermon, he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine grower. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And so what we're talking about with a rule of life is basically this is a structure. It gives structure to our lives so that we can stay connected to Christ, so that we can abide in him and that we can bear fruit. You know, sometimes I was thinking about this. Sometimes we think of, you know, our spiritual practices of worship, of prayer, of reading scripture as, as recharging us. You know, you've got to charge your phone at night or else it's going to be dead the next day. Unless it's brand new, then maybe you can make it two days. But that doesn't last long. We think about it that way. I think what Jesus is saying... I think I think we need to think of ourselves, and I know like metaphor police over here, so, so I'm sorry, but I think we need to think of ourselves not as phones that need to recharge, but like a lamp. If we don't stay plugged in, there's no light. We've got to figure out how to stay plugged in. So how do we stay plugged into our source? How do we stay connected to Jesus? That's what this is really about, is figuring out what are the habits, what are the practices, what is my way of life that will help me to stay connected to him? 
so that I can live faithfully, so that whenever I face stress, I can respond in a way that is helpful, that is brave, that is courageous, that's faithful, and, and not just fall to the level of my bad habits. And uh, maybe you know this quote from Annie Dillard. I think it's helpful. You probably know the first part. She says, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. What we do with this hour and that one is what we are doing. But I think the, the continuation of it's interesting. I hadn't heard this part of it, but she, she talks about, you know, how do we control that to make sure that the way that we spend our days is in alignment with the way that we want to spend our life. She says a schedule, a schedule defends from chaos and whim. It is a net for catching days. It is a scaffolding, kind of like a trellis, on which a worker can stand and labor with both hands at sections of time. And so in the same way, that's really what we're talking about with the rule of life. It's a scaffolding, it's a structure that helps us to do the things that are actually needful, that are actually important, instead of just doing whatever is easy, whatever we habitually resort to. And that's what enables us to do. An intentional rule of life helps us abide in Christ and train in his way of life so that we're able to stay connected with him. This is what he says. he says. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And whenever we have a consistent and intentional rule, we're able to abide in his love and then we can keep his commandments, which involve loving God and loving our neighbor. And so to, to bring this back to the things that we've been talking about, to, to the idea of resilience, there are actually habits of resilience that, that we can put into place that, that will help us. And really, this is about putting, taking those action steps that we've been talking about the last few weeks and trying to put them and make them part of our routine. Um, because what Todd Bolsinger says, he says, what is often overlooked is that practice is something we do, not something we think about or even pray about. You have to actually do something. And uh, I, I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm biased, but I think we, we have pretty good sermons here, at least whenever Pastor Mark and Pastor Robert are preaching. But they don't do any of us any good if we don't do something about them, right? We don't just hear them. You don't just listen to this sermon series and it's like, oh, I heard this great sermon. I'm resilient now. Like, awesome. I can persevere through anything. That's not how it works. We have to actually practice it. And so here are three spheres that I, want to think, that I want you to think about whenever it comes to your habits and it comes to resilience. They're not the only ones, but I think there are three really important ones. And the first one is thinking about the sphere of our spiritual lives, our spiritual lives. And so we ground ourselves in God's love and spend time in self-reflection. If, it's not just enough to know, uh, you know, I heard once that, uh, that my identity is based in the fact that I'm a child of God and I know that intellectually. We have to remind ourselves every day we have to ground ourselves in that. We have to find practices that help us to stay connected with God, of spending time with God in prayer and in scripture that enable us to remember that. And, and then self-awareness and self-reflection, that's something we actually have to do. Did you know, I, I read a study, like 80% of people think that they're self-aware. That's not good. Like that, that's a very low level of self-awareness if you've interacted with anyone, right? And, and so we have to actually practice that. I, I had a, a professor who told me the first step to becoming a good listener is realizing that right now you're a bad listener. I think the first step to self-awareness is realizing that you're not self-aware, including me, but we have to actually practice those things if we want to grow in that. So, so we, we ground ourselves in spiritual practices. Then in relational practices, what are, what are the relationships that I'm nurturing? Not just knowing, you know, I have this set of friends and this set of family and these people I know at church, but how am I actually intentionally nurturing relationships with those people as we support and encourage one another? 
right? Because, you know, maybe, maybe you've thought of, you've been in a situation where you really need help and you've thought of all these people that, that you could call and it's like, well, I haven't talked to them in like four years. Probably I shouldn't lead with an ask, you know? That, that doesn't go well. That doesn't make people feel like you're in a great relationship. So we have to actually nurture those relationships. So what are the things that I'm doing to, to nurture my relationship with my family and friends? How am I nurturing my relationships with people in my community of faith, with my small group, or, or whatever that is for you? How am I deepening those relationships? Because we need those. That's how we form that web that enables us to continue even when we lose a thread or two. So that's our, our relational life. And then, and then our physical life. We care for our bodies with appropriate exercise and food and sleep. Because if we are not, if we're not, basically the, the degree to which our, our bodies are, are healthy has a tremendous effect on our ability to persevere I, and to choose well. Whenever I'm tired, I do some of my worst parenting, right? I mean, any of you experience that? I, I do not respond well. That's when I'm at my snappiest. And, uh, and I don't mean that in a good way. And, and so we've got to be rested. We, we've got to actually, you know, take care of the gifts that God has given us in our bodies. One of the things that they teach us um, in seminary is that whenever we're learning about preaching, they teach us that the brain can only absorb what the backside can endure. And so if I'm, if I'm telling you great stuff at minute 60, like it doesn't matter how great it is, like you've zoned out, you're like, when is he going to let us eat lunch? Because our bodies can only endure so much. It, the, what our bodies can endure has a, a direct effect on what we can actually do, the ways that we can persevere. And so we've got to think about how, how can we actually care for our bodies. And, and one of the really basic ways that we can do that is just by moving, right? I mean, a lot of us sit at desks for like eight hours a day, and that's not what we're built for. And so we've got to find ways to move. Uh, when I was reading for this sermon, I, I decided to switch things up and, and sit on the ground instead of on a chair. You get some weird looks that way when people pass by in the hallway, but you know, that's one simple way that I could just find to move to actually exercise my body and uh, not just be in the same position the whole day. And, and so as you think about this, we think about these three areas and just the way that you live your life in general, thinking about creating a rule of life. Here are a few tips just to really bring it into practice. And so first is to start small. I think you all know this, but, but one habit done well is worth 10 habits, not done at all. I think mathematically it's worth infinity habits, not done at all, because anything multiplied by zero. I don't know, infinity is weird in math. I, I didn't make it that far, but right? I mean, you can do something well, or you can do a lot of things not well. And I've come up with long lists of habits, New Year's resolutions, right? I'm going to do all this stuff starting today. And then by day three, you're like, uncle, this is awful. I can't do it. Or you just forget. And I love this, this quote from the novelist Anthony Trollope. He says, a small daily task, if it be really daily, will beat the, level, the, the labors of a spasmodic Hercules. If you're just kind of spazzing around and, and a Herculean effort one day and then nothing for the next two months, right? I mean, it's the difference between doing leg day three day, times a week and doing it quarterly and then being so sore that you don't want to do it again for another three months, right? We've, one thing done well is worth a lot more than a lot of things done poorly. And then be ruthlessly realistic. That's how Ruth Haley Barton puts it. I really like that. Emphasize what you can actually do and not what you feel like you should do. And I don't know about you, but sometimes whenever I think about my spiritual habits, I think about, you know, I really ought to be praying for, I should just like spend 30 minutes at least in meditation, 
that's really novice levels, but that's where I am. And, and then I should spend 30 minutes, in, you know, praying for other people and then two hours reading the Bible. And then I've got to find a way to go serve people. And all of that needs to fit in before I go to work in the morning and before I get my kids out the door. And that really doesn't work. And, and this is what Ruth Haley Barton says. I think it's so true. She says, one of the great temptations of the spiritual life is to believe that if I were in another season of life, I could be more spiritual. Have you ever thought of that? Like, if only my kids were older, then, like, I wouldn't have them waking me up in the morning. Or if only I still had a job to go to, then I could serve my co- it's, it's easy, and the grass is always greener. And in fact, where we are now is the place that God meets us to actually transform us. It's the things that we endure today that help us to become more resilient tomorrow. I got, I think... I think sometimes God has a low opinion on me because God just like will like put my face in stuff that I'm trying to learn about. Like, so it's like, okay, you thought I needed this like really directly, but I, I was writing this sermon on, on Wednesday and then I got a call in and my daughter's at day camp and I hadn't packed everything in the morning. And so I had to go home and get something that she had forgotten and then come back. And I was like, great, you know, I'm trying to write the sermon on resilience and now I'm going to be late and every, we've got a team that, that does a run through on Wednesday and so now I'm going to be late and they're going to be waiting for me. And so anyway, I got over it and I went home and I got it. And, and when I got back, she, she was walking up to, to with the, the head of the day camp and was getting her temperature taken. I thought, oh, that's great. That's really... <laughs> and, and so she ended up, she wasn't feeling well. And so she came and sat in my office. And I was like, all right, how am I going to write a sermon with an eight-year-old? And then I was like, huh, you're writing a sermon on resilience and you're facing all of this resistance, huh? And I realize that I, I can be upset about it. I can be frustrated that this isn't, that I'm not going to have the pristine, quiet atmosphere that I like to have whenever I'm writing. Or I can recognize that I'm talking about growing stronger through resistance and I actually have the opportunity to practice it, right? It would be nice if I lived at a stage of life when I don't have those things. At least that's what I think when I'm in the thick of it. But this is actually the place where God meets me. And so we're realistic, about the things that we can do in the stage of life where we find ourselves. And then include others. Habits are much more sustainable with a supportive community, right? I mean, if you talk, one of my best friends is a CrossFit coach. And if you talk to him, the reason that, that the people who are involved in that stick, it's not because of the exercises, those are awful, it's because of the community, right? It's, anyway, you can, he might be here at 1045, but... <laughs> But it's because of the community, because you show up for the people. And, and then those bonds of experiencing that together actually make them stronger. We're able to stick with things whenever we have other people who are holding us accountable. And so you might just think, you know, is this something I can talk with my spouse about? Sometimes having someone who's not your spouse can also be helpful, but who's a friend who would take this on with me? And then we can regularly check in so we actually continue to do this. But, but who are the people who can help you that you can help in order to do this together? So here are the action steps I want to invite you to take this week as we strive to live this out. First, think about the last week, that just the last week, and then ask yourself, what is my unwritten rule of life? If I had an observer in the corner who is writing down what my habits, what would they write? You know, whenever, whenever I'm stressed, how do I respond to my children? What's the first thing I do when I wake up? What do I do whenever I get home from work? Or, you know, what are, what are those things? What is my rule of life that I'm living by, whether I've chosen it or not? Become aware of those things. And then I want to invite you just to, to create a rule of life that helps you to train to follow Jesus resiliently. 
And so that might be really simple. That might be like Daniel's. Daniel's was super simple, kneel three times a day to pray. And that was it. It could also be, you know, if you're an overachiever and if you're being realistic, maybe that's, you know, there are some that look at eight or 10 different areas of your life that have habits for each of those. So, um, you know, you can do that in as much detail as is helpful for you. Um, for me at, at this stage in life, you know, with a full work life and two little kids, and it feels like whenever I get to bed, like I, I get, or whenever I get them to bed, I get to choose one thing. Like, am I going to do dishes or am I going to work out or am I going to watch one episode of a show? And that's it. I need something that's super simple at this stage of life. And so uh, a few months ago, I wrote down what, what I didn't think of this way, but was in effect kind of a mini rule of life. But it was like, I, it was these keystone habits. I exercise 10 minutes every day. You know, it doesn't have to be a full workout. I'm not going to the CrossFit gym. Uh, I'm not running 10 miles, but if I can get 10 minutes in, then that's a win. I pray every day. I'm making sure that I'm spending time connecting with God. And uh, if that's an hour, that's great. If that's, you know, a minute, that's something, but we're connecting. And then I engage my wife and daughters in conversation or play daily. Uh, I'm not having great conversations with my two-year-old yet, but, uh, but we can play together. But I want to be intentional that I'm nurturing those relationships, that I'm making time to connect. That isn't just, you need to go brush your teeth, or we need to get the kids to this place at this time, but we're actually connecting uh, at a soul level, that we're actually connecting with each other. And, and then I write every day. That's a way that I'm trying to uh, actually grow in my vocation. That one's gone really poorly, but the others have gone pretty well. But, uh, but you know, the, mi- the mistake I made with this, I wrote it in a notebook and then I left it there and didn't look at it again until I, I thought, oh, this would be really helpful for this sermon that I'm preaching. And, and so, you know, if this is an exercise that you do, write it down, but then make sure it's actually somewhere where you'll see it, where you'll review it every day, if it's something that's important to you. And if all of this feels like a lot and you're not really sure where to start, here's one tip that I'll give you. Give yourself a bedtime. I don't know about you, but uh, some nights I go to bed at 1030 and sometimes I go to bed at midnight because I don't know why. Uh, have you heard of the concept of revenge bedtime procrastination? Like basically you feel like we don't have control of our days, so we try to cram everything in af- late in the day. It's revenge against ourselves. But uh, sometimes I'll do that. Like, oh, I've got all this stuff around the house, but also I want to work out and also I want to watch this. So I try to do all of that. And then it's like 1230. It's like, okay, tomorrow's not going to be good. And uh, whenever I'm well rested, though, everything else falls into place more easily. And so one thing we can do that'll help us with resistance is just being consistent with getting enough rest. That's a gift that God gives to us, right? The Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments. It's something that's important to God. And whenever we do that, whenever we actually train ourselves, even if we start really simply, it enables us to grow so that we can stand strong even among the greatest stressors. Will you pray with me? God, we're so grateful for the gift of your grace and for the invitation to abide in you, to have our entire lives in your presence. I pray that you would help us to do that, that you would show us that this moment in our lives, wherever we are, whatever we have going on, that you would show us the way that you're calling us to do that and that you would fill us with your grace and your life and your love, and that in everything we would be able to grow and to abide in your Son, who taught us even how to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.